This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Today, we bring you a special episode of Fresh Ed. With me is Manos Antoninis, the director of the Global Education Monitoring Report, which was just released today. You can download a free copy of the report online. Each year, UNESCO publishes an editorially independent global education monitoring report to monitor the progress towards the education targets in the Sustainable Development Goals. This year's topic is migration, displacement, and education. This report is not a report about migration and displacement per se. It's a report about the mutual interactions between migration, displacement, and such demographic phenomena, and education. Based on evidence from around the world, the report argues that investing in the education of mobile people can actually create cohesion and peace. Of course, there are many challenges facing children, teachers, policymakers, and society from the displacement and migration of large numbers of people. There are a number of obstacles that need to be overcome. These obstacles are particularly strong when the language of the refugee children, and more broadly, of course, the immigrant children, is different to that of the language of instruction and the community language. Menes Antoninis, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thank you for having me with you. So congratulations on the new Global Education Monitoring Report that released today. So the main focus of this new report is on migration, displacement, and education. How was this topic decided? The report is an editorially independent output uh, hosted and published by UNESCO. And we have an advisory board that convenes once a year. And uh, we propose to the board three themes, uh, three themes that have been collectively discussed inside the team that we believe are uh, important and also respond to the mandate of the report, which is to monitor, of course, education in the sustainable development goals, but also to um, respond to key challenges and strategies that have been identified in the roadmap for achieving uh, SDG 4. That's a document called the Framework for Action. So based on the framework for action, we propose three themes to the board and the board then discusses. Uh, it's a very open and really insightful discussion about their uh, ideas, their perceptions of what is really going to be uh, the most relevant topic in two years time, because usually the choice happens to now even more than two years in advance. So clearly migration and displacement at the time of the, the, the choice was uh, at the top of of the uh, news agenda, primarily as a result, of course, of the um, Syrian crisis and its aftermath in uh, the Middle East, but also in uh, in Europe. And of course, the ongoing arrival of uh, migrants, often undocumented across the Mediterranean. But, um, but I think we would not have selected this topic just on the basis of that regional interest. Our uh, report is global, and therefore uh, the focus of it has to be a topic of global significance. And we believe migration and displacement is such an issue. So what is the scale of this global issues of migration and displacement today? Um, that's an interesting question. There is a lot of debate about uh, not so much the the volume, but uh, how important it is today compared to other uh, times in history. Uh, it is perhaps a cliche, but it's true that uh, human beings are very mobile, and that's how they populate it uh, the planet, and that's how they 
ended up making all sorts of advances. There is a feeling that uh, migration in recent years has increased. Uh, and it's true that uh, since 1990, when the uh, United Nations Population Division started compiling uh, migration uh, data on a more systematic basis, there has been an increase from about 2.8% of the global population to 3.4%, the latest estimate in 2017. But some earlier evidence going back to the 1960s, uh, which the World Bank published earlier this year, shows that actually, uh, even in the early, even in mid-1960s, the uh, rate of migration was also above 3%. So it's only a small a uh, small, I think, uh, increase that uh, is part of a normal fluctuation uh, that happens from year to year. But just to give a little bit of a, a sense of the volume, so we're talking about uh, 257 million international migrants. That means, according to the definition of the UN, uh, nationals of other countries living in another country. In addition to those, uh, which is about 1 in 30 people, let's say, in the world, the report also talks about uh, the one in 80 people who are displaced, some of them are displaced internally, others are displaced across uh, the border, seeking refuge from persecution, conflict, and uh, applying for asylum, and some of them getting refugee status. Um, there are about 25 million refugees in the world today, and that's considered to be the highest number since World War II. Uh, in addition, uh, we know that there are about f uh, 3 million asylum seekers, 40 million people who are internally displaced, and the report also makes reference to the 19 million people who are displaced not for conflict, but for uh, as a result of a natural disaster. Maybe I should close by saying that in addition to those, uh, the report does not only talk about uh, international migration, international migrants and refugees, but also about internal migration. And... Uh, Estimates on this are quite difficult to get, but the one that we favor in the report is that one in eight people are actually living in a province or a region of the country different to the one that they were born. And uh, that means primarily, but not exclusively, people moving from villages to cities. But there is also another dimension that uh, makes the report particularly fascinating as a mobility, and that is the mobility the, uh, of people in inside borders or across borders that is cyclical people who migrate for a livelihood, nomads and pastoralists, for example, that adds another dimension to the very complex nature of uh, human mobility. I mean, it's, it's incredibly complex, it sounds like. And I guess one of the issues that I guess I sometimes have difficulty with is keeping track of the differences between the idea of what a refugee is versus what an asylum seeker is versus a displaced person. Could you sort of clarify some of these terms that are being used to talk about the mobility of people? Yes, you're absolutely right. This is uh, quite a complex field and also one field that many feel particularly strong about. We provide glossaries in the reports uh, that give the official definitions. I could go into some detail explaining that, but I think the most important thing is to remember that this report is not a report about migration and displacement per se. It's a report about the mutual interactions between migration, displacement and such demographic phenomena and education. And I think uh, that's the message that this report is trying to bring that is very important, that uh, we would like to see this phenomena from the uh, point of view of teachers, 
the point of view of education planners and administrators who have to deal with children in the classroom, regardless of the precise definition of uh, their status. Because a teacher does not necessarily need to care. Sometimes they need to care because there are, of course, children of undocumented migrants that are threatened uh, with deportation, or there are children uh, that have a particular exposure to trauma because of uh, having fled some conflict. But they are not interested so much in the precise definition. They're more interested about understanding the challenges that these children have, but also the challenges of the host communities that need to accommodate them. And that is a key message of the report. So what are some of these challenges? I mean, so if for these children that are moving across borders and entering societies and communities that are completely foreign to them and eventually entering into some sort of education system, what are some of these challenges that the report documents? I think you rightly mentioned in your question Entering the national education system is a major challenge and the report highlights the very important progress that has been achieved in recent years in countries uh, understanding, realizing and taking on the responsibility in the case of particularly displaced people, uh, the refugees uh, who have crossed a border, that these uh, people need to be integrated into the national education system as soon as possible. There was a tendency in previous years Uh, for, let's say, out of um, an inability to d- decide what is best, uh, to uh, tend to group uh, refugee children uh, in schools in the camps where they originally settled. But we realized that many of these crises are actually protracted, that uh, uh, families cross borders uh, in principle for a short time, but this time gets extended. And then the children of refugees uh, who are not able to enter the national education system, then end up being excluded, uh, excluded of the possibility of uh, further advancing their education, having employment opportunities and integrating in the societies that hosted them. So the fact that in recent years, uh, as a combination of a number of factors, countries have, uh, host countries have faced this head on and have opened the, the doors of their schools and their education institutions uh, to uh, refugee children is a major advance uh, and a positive message that we are definitely uh, portraying. But as you said, there are uh, a number of obstacles that need to be overcome. These obstacles are particularly strong when the language uh, of the refugee children and more broadly, of course, the immigrant children is different to that of the uh, language of instruction uh, and the, the, the community language uh, in the area where they settle. And, uh, of course, many countries have responded by offering preparatory courses to help make help these children make the transition to, uh, to the new uh, environment. But the report makes a particularly strong case that such preparatory periods should not be uh, too long because it's not just a technical matter of learning the language, it's also the case that children need to interact with their peers. So the longer they are separated in a separate class, uh, being helped to advance and uh, integrate more smoothly into the class, then the more problematic this becomes over time. Is it common for children of families who crossed borders to be accepted into national education systems, or is that more of something that's less common when we look at the types of education available for refugee children or asylum seeker children? Or I would imagine it's different depending on exactly who we're talking about. Yes, indeed. The asylum seeking children that end up in detention centers in many parts of the world 
from Australia to Indonesia, from uh, Hungary to Mexico, often do not have uh, the education opportunities that they uh, are entitled to. And that's a particular category uh, that uh, that the report draws attention to. But you raise a very interesting question on the receptiveness of the communities. There are cases, uh, even when the government uh, proposes uh, that the refugee children should be included in the national education system, there are cases of communities that uh, react, um, saying that they don't want their children uh, to be interacting, to be mixed with uh, other children that have different needs. Uh, and, and in that case, the, the political will uh, of governments and local authorities and schools to take a stance has been very, very important. Um, but there are also other ways, and that's another dimension that the report is drawing attention to, where immigrants in particular and refugees end up settling in communities that are quite isolated, uh, either, uh, there's an extreme example, in, in Kenya, um, the influx of refugees from Somalia or from South Sudan in quite remote parts of the country mean that these children do not have the opportunity to uh, meet, let's say, with the local community because they, remote, they, they, they settle in a very remote area. So they are forced to, uh, to, have, uh, to go to school in, in camp areas, even though these schools follow the national curriculum. Another extreme example is the cases of Lebanon and Jordan, where the, uh, the amount of refugees is so high compared to the populations, the highest rates in the world, that the, the countries themselves cannot afford to build such a large number of new schools. So inevitably, they have come up with solutions of uh, two shifts, um, which means, again, a less, uh, lower probability to interact with the uh, children in the host community. But the more extreme version, a more sophisticated version of such uh, uh, differentiation is uh, the immigrant communities in high-income countries where uh, immigrants tend to settle in poorer neighborhoods uh, and uh, the families of, uh, in the host communities often try to avoid uh, such schools with, with large concentrations of uh, immigrant populations and find all sorts of mechanisms, both the, the, the parents and the schools themselves, to create space for uh, children from the uh, host community to be educated in a separate school, separate classroom. And that's a, a practice that has proven uh, very, very difficult to overcome, uh, but also means it is uh, a continuing uh, problem in terms of integrating immigrant children and ensuring they progress through the education system at the same pace as their peers. With this increase in migration and displacement and, and the intersection with education, are we seeing globally sort of in-host communities that are receiving large numbers of displaced or immigrant communities? Are we seeing a rise in, say, racism or xenophobia? This is um, definitely uh, a case. It has appeared in uh, in a number of countries. I think one can say that there is also evidence that societies tend to be very robust in responding to such uh, cases. The interesting thing is, of course, that the elements of uh, xenophobia are not specific to uh, high-income countries. Some people are familiar with the um, reactions that uh, the influx of uh, Zimbabweans and other um, immigrants from southern African countries to South Africa led to uh, quite a, a backlash from the local population. So it's a, it's a problem that can appear everywhere. Uh, we also quote the example from Chile where uh, the local population has not been particularly um, 
welcoming the the Haitian uh, immigrant population because the, the the rules for immigration were quite uh, relaxed and a number of um, uh, Haitians ended up now within a space of five years more than hundred thousand people live there and there have been cases of um, of uh, uh, xenophobia uh, expressed and documented in reports of uh, national human rights organizations. But the, the report stresses how important education is uh, in addressing this uh, uh, issue. Um, the content of education, the curriculum, the textbooks can and should be key tools to help teachers address these potential challenges that can appear in any country. And in fact, the, the report is very clear in that such reforms in curriculum textbooks are not important only for countries that host immigrants and refugees because in the world that we live today we just don't know at what point any country could face such a challenge the report often says it's not just a challenge it's also an opportunity and therefore uh, curriculum textbooks all over the world need to be respectful of migration and displacement histories of people um, those people that they they host but also of uh, people across the board uh, who provides very important lessons uh, that can help societies manage such challenges. And are textbooks today addressing the issue of migration and displacement in ways that emphasize you know, multiculturalism and acceptance and all of the, the positive values that having diverse groups of people interact with each other might bring? This is a, a core of one of the targets of the SDG4 agenda, target 4.7, that uh, is related to, among other things, citizenship. And the, um, there is a challenge here in monitoring progress, international progress, in that direction. Um, it requires um, quite detailed uh, documentation of how curricula and textbooks around the world really depict uh, different dimensions of uh, relations uh, in society. The report um, does use a very interesting review of uh, 21 uh, high-income countries over the space of four decades and shows that back in 1980 only um, two of those uh, did have multicultural or intercultural um, elements embedded, firmly embedded in their curriculum. By 2010, 30 years later, there were six of those countries, um, including um, Ireland, Sweden, uh, Canada, um, that had done so, and two-thirds altogether, or more than two-thirds, had at least elements of intercultural education. But there was still a quarter that did not have any, and that is a suggestion that a lot more needs to be done. Now, what exactly needs to be done, that's the more difficult question. Uh, the report also uh, had commissioned the International Bureau for Education for an analysis of textbooks uh, on uh, migration from uh, countries all over the world, um, a, a small number of countries, but quite representative, and shows that there are issues that need to be addressed all over the world. Uh, countries tend to, let's say, favor the, the particular narrative often, and often the, the narrative of, of uh, their own people as migrants, wherever this, ha this has happened, but not uh, the experience of other 
immigrant communities that came to settle there. So uh, there is a lot to be done in terms of balancing and ensuring that uh, the representation of different migration and displacement histories is balanced and representative. And what about teachers? Globally, how are teachers dealing with all different types of people entering their classrooms? Or, you know, what sort of challenges are teachers facing when it comes to migration, displacement and education? Yeah, the teachers uh, and the need to uh, focus on them is one of the seven recommendations that the report uh, contains. Uh, we remind our readers that teachers are not superhumans, and indeed they are often put under challenges um, in, in a number of, of cases that are really extremely complicated. These range from their ability to teach um, children uh, the, the language of instruction as a second language, which traditionally they would not have had uh, any uh, training or exposure to. Uh, and indeed, we find that uh, in a country like France, for example, uh, the percentage of teachers who had such training is extremely low. Perhaps not surprising also given that France is one of the countries that does not has not made advances in terms of multicultural or intercultural education. Um, there are, of course, challenges of uh, teachers uh, in working in extreme conditions of internal displacement. Um, that in ranges from you know, when you move because of conflict, you are often labeled as potentially associated with the, the causes behind this conflict. And there are teachers who may be unable to even receive the salary um, from uh, as a result of that uh, displacement. There are challenges with refugee teachers who are um, totally unprepared or teachers who, refugee teachers themselves who find it very difficult to uh, receive uh, certification for them to continue to, to serve as teachers. Uh, there are uh, examples all over the world uh, of, of the kind of uh, complexities that um, appear. And one perhaps that is also extremely important is uh, being prepared to um, teach children that have suffered the consequences of conflict and displacement. And um, I think we have an example from, from Syria where three quarters of teachers said that they had not been prepared. And you can imagine how uh, impossible uh, it must be for a teacher who is not prepared to deal with trauma to really play the role that a teacher would be expected to play under normal circumstances. Of course, we're not expecting teachers to be um, uh, providing the kind of professional uh, support that other experts are meant to do. But for many children, the teacher at the end of the day will be the only uh, person who uh, the family would have access to to help uh, with soothing uh, a child in distress. And therefore, teachers do need support and do need training. And let us not finally forget the teachers themselves. Uh, teachers working under such circumstances need to be supported in the first place to uh, not necessarily with training, but with all sorts of other uh, mechanisms in order to be able to deliver the difficult tasks that we're asking of them. It seems like, you know, having teachers who are properly trained and providing the systems that are needed for them to deliver high-quality education and having materials such as a multicultural curriculum that includes issues of global citizenship, all of that is going to take a huge amount of money. And, and I would imagine that these populations that are moving maybe by force and are being and escaping into new communities and maybe not being able to work right away and not being able to contribute to the tax base of the host country. So how does the funding work? I mean, it must place huge stress on some education systems to educate 
such large numbers of migrant children? Uh, it depends uh, what exactly we're talking about. So uh, when, when it comes to immigration, the report reviews uh, different estimates that have been made in terms of the fiscal impact of immigration on, uh, on, on governments and uh, finds that overall one should not just think that immigrants consume public services. At the end of the day, um, given the very low rates of participation of immigrants and refugees in tertiary education, compared to, let's say, native populations, immigrants do not cost as much, uh, remembering that tertiary education is per capita far more expensive than basic education. Um, also, uh, immigrant populations contribute considerably to uh, taxes uh, over the long term. And therefore, one can say that, on average, most estimates suggest that immigration is not that particularly costly to, to the state. Its estimates vary between minus one and plus one percent of, of GDP. It means immigration can also be, uh, in fact, a boom uh, to uh, government finances under certain circumstances. So, But regardless, the, the key message is that immigration does not have such a huge cost effect as often uh, some quarters tend to argue about. But when it comes to uh, the refugees, of course, that's a slightly different context. Um, and there is a need for governments to respond. Yet we know that nine in 10 refugees actually are hosted by low and middle income countries. Uh, low income countries in particular uh, have only 10% of the population, but 20% of the refugee population. And uh, not only that, but refugees tend to also arrive in those parts of these poor countries that are least well served already. And that means that they do need support and they also need the solidarity of the international community. The report estimates that in uh, 2016, um, a refugee education received 800 million of uh, aid. Um, that was roughly equally split between uh, humanitarian aid that provides immediate response to crisis and development aid that is meant to be long-term and help develop uh, education systems, not just for the refugees, but also for the host communities. So uh, what the, the report draws attention to is the need for the interaction between these two streams of uh, foreign aid to work much better together. And that means, first of all, uh, governments need to have plans national education plans that include refugees so that they're not considered as an external parameter but a key factor that needs to be addressed in their plans and therefore to have budgetary support also from the government but then the the donors uh, both the humanitarian and the development actors need to support such plans in order for the interventions to have really long-term character and we already see as a result of the New York Declaration uh, for Migrants and Refugees in 2016, which kick-started the so-called Comprehensive Refugee Response Framework, uh, a tendency for such uh, joint-up planning to, to occur. Uganda uh, completed its first plan this year, and there is a lot of optimism that also with the new uh, fund uh, for emergencies, the Education Cannot Wait Fund, and the overall willingness of donors to work more closely together, that funding for refugee education could improve in the next few years. So the subtitle of this report is Building Bridges, Not Walls. And it 
occurred to me that when you bring up the term of walls, it's hard to disassociate that from Donald Trump's declaration that he wants to build the wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. So I'm wondering, was this an intentional decision to sort of take on the the rhetoric of Donald Trump, but also the rhetoric that we start hearing in, in other countries like some groups in Germany or in Hungary or in Poland, we're beginning to see more of this, in a sense, ultra-nationalistic rhetoric that is, you know, xenophobic at its very nature. So, you know, is this report trying to take a political stance here against such rhetoric? I wouldn't quite say that was the case. Uh, I think when the the choice for the title was uh, made, the first thought that uh, was coming to our minds was that uh, there are so many walls in societies between uh, immigrants and host populations, walls in um, in the classrooms, in the courtyards, in the schools, as I was describing this uh, segregation that happens slowly uh, but surely. Those were the walls that we had in mind that needed to be uh, pulled down. Uh, and the bridges, the bridges that uh, talented teachers, engaged communities, students themselves can offer to each other to enrich their lives. Because we, we see, as I said from the beginning, uh, migration as a hugely important positive force uh, in human uh, advance and human development and human uh, innovation, let's say. Now we realize, of course, that uh, there are tendencies. In fact, uh, we were quite surprised to see in um, um, just uh, mid-October that the, there was a, a big demonstration in Berlin where demonstrators in support of, um, of interventions to help uh, immigrants and curb uh, some xenophobic tendencies that appear there were actually carrying uh, posters with uh, precisely the same uh, title in German, uh, you know, don't uh, build bridges, don't build walls. So uh, I think the report is capturing perhaps a general uh, feeling that uh, our societies have to be uh, not just tolerant, but they have to accept the, the difference as a, as a positive creative force in our societies. And uh, I think that was a, the, the key uh, objective. Uh, every country, of course, has its immigration policies, but uh, at the end of the day, education is a right. It's a right that is uh, enshrined in a number of, of uh, international conventions. And the report makes a clear call to all countries concerned that they have to respect the right. They have to ease on the documentation. There are wonderful examples that uh, our um, communications, our visual communications videos uh, document from all around the world show how uh, talented and inspired teachers and communities can really help uh, governments to ensure that this right is fulfilled, that there's no arbitrary interpretation of this right by people, um, that um, there is a commitment to ensure that every child has equal opportunity to go through their education and advance in their lives. Well, Manas Antoninus, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed today, and congratulations uh, on the report again. Thank you for having us. Menas Antoninus is the director of the Global Education Monitoring Report. The 2019 report is entitled Migration, Displacement, and Education, Building Bridges, Not Walls, and it's available online right now. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes. It really does help. Fresh Ed is made possible through listener donations. Please consider becoming a member of Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com support. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Yuval Devere, Hong Zong, and Lushik Waba. An original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.